Imagine you're in Arizona, standing there on the rim of the Grand Canyon, totally awestruck by the beauty of it all. And as you're standing there, a man walks up to you and says, it sure is beautiful, isn't it? You say, yeah. Wouldn't you like to take a flight and get a real close look? Yeah, sure. Okay, start thinking positive thoughts, stick out both your arms, and run off the edge right there. You think, this guy's a complete loon. Thinking positive thoughts obviously can't make anyone fly. Everyone knows that in order to fly, we need a flying machine. Doesn't matter how we feel about it, that's just reality. If we run off a cliff, whether we're thinking positive thoughts or not, it's still beyond our nature to fly. If we rely on our own natural powers to fly, we'll surely fall. That's also true in the spiritual life. See, there's a spiritual sort of gravity. If we rely on our natural powers to try to fly off to heaven after death, we'll fall. It doesn't matter how we feel about it, that's just reality. The scriptures are clear. By nature, we are born children of wrath. We're members of a fallen race. Thanks a lot, Adam. By nature, when we die, our souls will fall. And naturally speaking, there isn't a thing that any one of us can do about it. So there's a parallel. Just as we fall bodily, if we try to rely on our natural powers to fly off a cliff, so also we'll fall spiritually if we try to rely on our natural powers to get to heaven after death. There is one huge difference. Even though flying is beyond our natural abilities as men, still we can develop technology to make it possible for us to fly. We can build a balloon or a helicopter or an airplane. But there isn't a single intellectual, technological or physical way that we can get to heaven. It's totally beyond our nature. We can't build a cannon to shoot us there or a rocket to travel there. It's totally and completely unaccessible to us naturally. No amount of money, research, wishful thinking, or anything can get us this ability. It's totally beyond our nature. In order for our soul to get to heaven when we die, it has to receive powers above its nature, supernatural powers. This supernatural power can only come from God as his free gift, and we can only get it in this life. What are we saying? We're saying that if we die with this power, this supernatural power, we can fly to heaven. And once we get there, our soul can live the life of heaven. But if we die without this supernatural power, we can't get to heaven. And even if we could get to heaven, our soul couldn't live there. If we die with this power, we can get to heaven and live there. If we die without it, we can't. Which means that our soul will plunge into hell. The great Catholic author Frank Sheet commented that supernatural life is given to man in this life. And what a man does with it is really the primary story of his life. Everything else is incidental, on the fringe, of no real importance. When we come to die, we are judged by the answer to that one question whether we have the supernatural life in our soul. If the answer is yes, then to heaven we shall surely go. 
for the supernatural life is the power to live the life of heaven. If the answer is no, then we cannot possibly go to heaven, for we could not live there when we got there. If we die with this power, we go to heaven. If we die without this power, we can't get to heaven. What is the name of this supernatural power? It's sanctifying grace. Grace means free gift. And remember, it's a free gift that comes to us from God. Now remember, there's more than one kind of grace. For example, there's actual graces. Actual graces give us the power to do supernaturally good acts. So actual graces supernaturalize the way we act. But sanctifying grace does not change the way we act. It changes our being. Sanctifying grace changes how we are. Sanctifying grace sanctifies us. It makes us be holy. Sanctifying grace is actually a created share in God's own life that he places into our soul to give us a new type of life, supernatural life, and that makes us holy. That's what St. Peter is referring to in 2 Peter 1.4 when he writes of us becoming partakers of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature. When we're in the state of grace, God has actually placed a created share of his own life into our soul, and it completely penetrates our soul, totally filling it with holiness. The great doctor of the church, St. Basil the Great, compares our soul in the state of grace with a piece of iron placed in a fire. The iron represents our soul. The fire represents God. He points out that just as fire penetrates iron, so also grace penetrates the soul. Of course, as we know, iron is ordinarily hard and black and cold. But as St. Basil the Great says, quote, the iron lying in the furnace does not lose the nature of iron. And yet, by being placed in the fire, the iron becomes fiery itself. It becomes penetrated by the whole nature of fire and even assumes its color, warmth, and power. In the same way, by their union with God, the angels and souls of men have this sanctity poured and implanted into their whole being. There is only this difference. God is, in his own nature, holiness itself. But the holiness of angels and men is a created share of that holiness. It's a participation in God's natural holiness. Close quote. St. Basil the Great, Doctor of the Church. The holiness of angels and men is a participation in God's natural holiness. Sanctifying grace is a created share in God's own life that he places into our souls to give us a new type of life, supernatural life, and this makes us holy. This makes us partakers of the divine nature. And because a soul in the state of grace has a created share of God's own life, it has a created share in God's unspeakable beauty. St. Bridget used to say that a man could not behold the beauty of a soul in the state of grace without dying from joy. St. Catherine of Siena did survive after seeing a vision of a soul in the state of grace, but she said that she would willingly have given her life to prevent that soul from losing such beauty. In fact, St. Catherine used to kiss the ground on which priests walked because through them, souls obtain this beauty that's worth dying for. 
the grace of God. But despite the example of the saints, St. Alphonsus points out that men do not understand the value of divine grace. Men do not understand the value of divine grace. All right, what is divine grace worth? St. Thomas gives us the answer. The sanctifying grace in just one soul is worth more than the entire material universe and all it contains. Now just think about that. We piled up all the riches in the universe. The teeniest amount of sanctifying grace is worth more than all that. And it's a free gift that God gives. St. Alphonsus says that sanctifying grace is an infinite treasure because it makes us worthy of the friendship of God. So grace is an infinite treasure which God gives freely, but as St. Alphonsus points out, men do not understand the value of divine grace. Hence, they exchange it for vanity, for little earth, or for a beastly pleasure. Our Lord himself told us, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. What did he mean? He meant that he came to give us supernatural life. He came specifically to give us sanctifying grace. That's why he established the Catholic Church. In fact, the whole and entire purpose of the Catholic Church is to continue Christ's work through time, undoing the damages of original sin by bestowing or restoring grace to men's souls. Every single thing that a man does as a priest is concerned with one thing, one thing only, grace. Bestowing it, increasing it, protecting it, or restoring it. That's the idea of the priesthood. That's why we're here. Now there's a lot of very important details that we still need to understand about sanctifying grace and other types of grace. But for today, let's review. Because of Adam's sin, men fell from grace. Men are now born without sanctifying grace. Naturally speaking, there isn't a single thing we can do about this. And in order to live the life of heaven, we have to be supernaturally alive. We have to have sanctifying grace. If we die with it, we can live life of heaven. If we die without it, we can't. Everyone needs to burn this into his mind. The most important thing I will ever do is die. If I die with supernatural life, I can live in heaven. If I die without supernatural life, I can't. What is the supernatural life that we call sanctifying grace? It's a created share in God's own life. It's a free gift from God that makes souls unspeakably beautiful. And it's absolutely priceless. So there's six things we've just covered about sanctifying grace. First, it's completely above our nature. It's supernatural. Second, it makes it possible to get to and live in heaven. Third, it's a free gift of God. Fourth, it's a created share in God's own life. Fifth, it fills the soul with inexpressible spiritual beauty. And sixth, it's absolutely priceless. It's supernatural. gives the ability to live in heaven. It's a free gift. It's a created share in the divine life, makes the soul spiritually beautiful, and it's priceless. Now we can see why our Lord is crying in today's gospel. 
He's crying over Jerusalem because he sees that so many of his people, his chosen people, whom he loves so much, will consciously, willfully, and maliciously reject him. And in rejecting him, they're rejecting the only possible source of the supernatural power they need to get to heaven. And so without supernatural power, when they die, their souls will do what comes naturally. They'll go to their natural destination. Since they can't fly, they'll fall. He's crying over Jerusalem. What's he doing when he looks down into your soul? After all, what's really crazier? Thinking positive thoughts, sticking out your arms and jumping off the cliff, and gambling that something will save you before you splat? Or living day to day without staying in the state of grace? and gambling that somehow you'll get supernatural life before you splat. So why was our Lord crying? St. John gives us the answer. Because in him was life, and the life was the light of men. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, he gave them the power to be made the sons of God to them who believe in his name, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we saw his glory, the glory as it was of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth.